order in the court. It's time for Understanding the Law Radio. Well, hi, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Understanding the Law Radio. I'm your host, Peter Lamont, along with my co-host, Brendan. How you doing? I'm happy to welcome you to the show today. And why is that? Well, that's not what I wanted. I wanted to say, and I'm happy to welcome in October. Oh, that's right. Oktoberfest. Yeah. Nope. It's just October. Well, have you ever been to an Oktoberfest? I have not been to the Oktoberfest, no. It's not one October. No, it's It's, an Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest is an idea, all right? It's a a lifestyle. Yeah, it's a lifestyle, all right? I've never been to Oktoberfest, though, no. I haven't been to an Oktoberfest in so long, but they're fun. They're super fun, but... There's there's more to October than Oktoberfest. Yeah, there's Halloween. There is Halloween. And and I love Halloween. And we have some really great Halloween podcasts. Just not today. Not today? No, because there's something else that makes me think of fall and October. And you know what that is? What well, is it? It's not Oktoberfest and it's not Halloween. Is it candy corn? I do like candy corn. Yeah. But it no, it is sports. Now, sports, for me, October, it's the mecca of all sports. It's the really? day, yes. Why is that? That's that. That's not true. Super Bowl is not now. Uh, March Madness is in March. I don't think baseball is around. Well, baseball is around. Well, the World Series is in October. But is it really? I didn't know that. It is, but there's something even more important than that. More important than the World Series. Way more important than the World Series. October is the beginning of hockey season. Oh. The number one sport in the world it is the best sport, in my opinion, at least. And we've got NHL starting. We've got college starting. We've got the AHL starting. So for me, I'm super hyped. Really? Yeah, apparently and if you, you disagree with that opinion, send us an email at no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, that's crazy. Yeah, well, today. Hockey, best yeah, sport. Why do you think hockey is the best sport? What I, makes it the best? First of all, there's so many components that go into ple- being a hockey player. So many things that you've got to do. You've got to be able to skate, first of all, right? Yeah. And then you've got to be able to think while you're skating. And then you've got to be able to make your body do all these different movements. Yeah. And I would argue that on a complexity level, ice hockey is more complex than other sports. And to prove my point. No, no. I think I'm going to cut you off right here. I don't even think you're going to let you prove it. I think you're wrong. Why is that? Because I know the most intense sport. Better than hockey. You have to think way more. You have to be way more physically able. It is chess boxing. Chess boxing is where two people have a boxing match, and then suddenly the round ends and they throw a chess table in there, and they have to sit down and think and play chess. Then, after a while, the bell rings again, they stand up, and they start boxing again. It's real. There are championships. There's an actual league. I just looked this up. Uh, It's great because you've got to box someone, and then you've got to sit down and be ready to think about chess. Are you for real? I'm dead serious. I want to interview a box chess player. Chess boxing. Chess Get it right here. <laughs> All right? That's a stupid sport. That, what? No way. Chess boxing. You know what? If I was physically able, I would do chess boxing. Why don't you do Russian slap fighting? They play alternating rounds of blitz chess and boxing until one wins by checkmate or by knockout. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's crazy. That is crazy. Well, we'll have to do an episode about sports that are not mainstream and liability issues. But today, we are going to talk about who is responsible when spectators are injured while attending sporting events. And fortunately, we've got something to talk about that I'm really into, which is 
hockey because did you know that a study was able to determine that in 127 NHL games, pucks injured 122 people? Really? 90 of which required stitches. What? And 57 needed to go to the hospital emergency room. Oh, now, my God. I don't know why I'm laughing. Yeah, why are you laughing? <laughs> they had to get stitches. <laughs> What's funny about that to you? Well, look, I no, it's not funny, but I don't know. <laughs> I just think it's funny. Would you say this is the gritty truth? That's funny. Yeah. And you know why? you're not laughing. You only laugh at people that need stitches. You know why? Why? For, for the people that don't know what you're talking about, what are you talking about? Yeah, Gritty is the Philadelphia Flyers mascot. He's this big, disgusting, orange he's awesome. turd. All right? He's, awesome. he's, 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 he's got googly eyes, and he's got this ridiculous, ridiculous. He's like an orange cookie monster. Kind of. Kind of just like that, yeah. I love Gritty. I mean, Gritty's fun. but Mascots you know. are fun. Um, so all right, all right, anyway, if you're not into hockey and we're talking about liability, mm-hmm, I also mm-hmm. want to point out that Major League Baseball fans from foul balls have an injury rate oh, yeah? of 35.1 injuries per million spectator visits. Oh, my God. So I think it's interesting and I think that it, it, it lends itself to this topic today that we're going to talk about, which is spectator and um, you know, spectator injuries and uh, who is responsible for them. Mm-hmm. And so I also want to throw in here into the mix some youth sports because in the fall we've got soccer, we've yeah. got you know all kinds of sports. It uh-huh. used to be like it used to be when when I was younger, in the fall you played soccer or football. And then in you know unless you were in high school and then maybe you had cross country. But now sporting in the youth is so competitive that they have sports teams all year round. Like they have soccer in the fall. They have soccer in the winter. They have soccer in the summer. You know, it's just soccer, soccer, soccer. Yeah. Soccer times three. But it's like that for every sport. You know, you can play hockey all year round. You can play baseball all all year round. Um, But anyway, in youth sports, typically, right, my mind would go to football and soccer in the fall, baseball in the spring and summer and that sort of thing. But we're going to talk a little bit about um, youth sports and liability there, too, because it really opens up interesting areas. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So when you think about this, like, listen to this statistic. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. Okay. So these injuries that we talked about, the uh, baseball injuries, the hockey injuries. In 2006, there were only four serious injuries of the total 750 million passengers on airplanes. Going to a professional sporting event in 2006 Mm -hmm. was considered more risky than air travel. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So, uh, all right, obviously, you can be injured anywhere. You could be going to a, a, a tennis match and you could fall down the bleachers, right? Yeah. But injuries happen most commonly at baseball and hockey games. And then I want you to guess. We're going to do the top four. Okay. Okay. Baseball and hockey are, are one and two. Okay. Give me two more sports. Yeah. Where they're they're the top four of injuries to spectators. Okay. Spectator sports. The top four that produce the most injuries. Do you want me to give you two more? I want you to give me two more. All right. And not chess boxing. This is family feud, right? Uh I'm saying 
tennis. Survey says. Ah, and... oh, damn. Uh, I'm going to say. Why would you say tennis? Well, what because would I be... think the ball would fly out and hit you, and if you you know smack it really hard, it could hit someone in the face and knock their teeth out. Okay, and, and so the soft, right. yeah. soft tennis would that, ball would well, cause no. serious injuries to people? Tennis balls are not soft. Hey, okay, <laughs> I'm going to throw one at you right here in the face, and you tell me if it hit it hard or not. Okay. Uh, okay, so two more. So we've got baseball. And hockey. We've got hockey. I doubt football. I don't know how you'd get injured from that. As a spectator, we're talking about. I'm going to say basketball. How Survey would you says. Get, how, <laughs> how would you get injured <laughs> at a basketball event? Maybe the people fall onto you if you're in the front rows. Like Maybe they trip, you know? Maybe Jay-Z gets hurt, but not normal people. Who? Jay-Z. He's always at the front row of basketball. Is he? Yeah. Uh, so is, um. what's his name? I don't remember his name. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Matthew McConaughey? I don't know. I don't know either. I, don't I just know. made people, that up. Okay. So uh, what other sports are there? I'm going to say um, javelin throwing, and those are the really unfortunate incidents. <laughs> you have to be able to throw it pretty darn far to get it into the uh, yeah, crowds. Yeah, no, I'm kidding about that one. Uh, what, else, what, what other sports are there? You want to know something, though. Yeah? Slightly off topic. Okay. And slightly more grim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's laugh. Go ahead. I threw the javelin in yes. high school. Yes. I was champion. Mm-hmm. I threw the javelin in college. Yeah. I was a champion. Yeah. Um, and when I was growing up in certain counties, you couldn't throw the javelin unless it had picture a walking cane okay. with one of those tips on it that you get in the hospital. You yeah. know, like the tips yeah, so yeah, that yeah. You, you, you put the cane down and you don't fall. You know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about? Yes. You had to throw the javelin with one of those tips on it. Now it completely destroyed the aerodynamics of the javelin, which is like a toothpick that you throw into the air right and and it really it's not even about strength it's about power velocity and the angle so imagine putting the tip of a crutch or a cane on the end of a javelin but you want to know why they had to do that why in this particular county why because years earlier a kid was impaled oh my god he was running around the track doing a running event because they run track and field events at the same time he was running around the field and somebody threw a javelin, it went off the area where they were supposed to throw. It was a bad throw, and it ended up spearing this kid. Was he all right? No, he died. Oh, my God. And, and That's awful. It is. Totally awful. And it's awful for everyone there. That's that's horrible. Yeah, but, I mean, these are things that when we get into the youth sport discussion a little bit later in the podcast, we'll talk about some of those things, right? That's, but that's anyway, grim and dark. So let's is. get back into let's, family feud guessing the rest of them. You've got to get the right answer here. I don't understand. Here. What else what other sports are there even? Soccer? No. What sports could people sp- unless get you injured get on? Trampled, by? right? But what if you get the ball kicked in your face? All right, I'm going to give you the answer. Yeah, please do. Okay. Golf? What? But I, well, there's two reasons. One of them is that Sometimes the ball will hit you and a ball, a golf ball is hard and that's Mm -hmm. traveling at a velocity that's higher than, let's say, arguably a soccer ball because by the time it hits you in the stands, it's decreased in speed. Uh, Maybe even somebody throws their golf club by accident. It slips out of their hands. And the other one is auto racing. Oh, I, I guess I can understand that. Because if there's an accident on the track, a lot of times the car flips up I've seen people in the stands injured. There's pieces of, of of the car that goes into the stand. Right. So the top four are baseball, hockey, auto racing, 
and golf. Crazy, that but true. That is crazy. Yeah, absolutely. I, honestly, if I wasn't giving this Family Feud quiz, I would have probably gone with other sports. I, yeah. I would not have, have selected that. Mm-hmm. I would have said soccer because in European countries, when the teams win and they jump over the stands and they trample people, I don't know if that happens anymore. Maybe I'm thinking of that movie Victory. I don't know what you're talking about. That movie Victory with Sylvester Stallone, it takes place in in, in uh, Germany during World War II. He's in France, and there's this diversion to get them out of the country. They play the soccer game, and then the fans storm the field saying, Vichwa for victory, remember? And then they run out, and Sylvester Stallone makes it home to the United States where he films Rocky IV. I don't. I don't remember that. that I don't think that happened. It did happen. It did happen. Okay. So anyway, so we're talking about these injuries that occur by spectators in sporting events when they're going there. And I'm going to give you the answer up front, and then I'll talk a little bit about the history. So the rule is this, that most, most, if not all, leagues and teams have placed a disclaimer on the back of the ticket. Or if you're buying your ticket, electronically Mm -hmm. there's a disclaimer and it's an assumption of risk statement that is part of your entry into that sporting event um and so the answer to this is when you go to a sporting event right in modern day yeah spectators who attend these events assume the risk of the inherent danger of the event and that includes flying pucks, flying balls, flying bats, flying tires, or any other objects that are inherent to the game that may come off the playing field and cause bodily injury or even death. So wow. unless the venue or the operator or the property or, or the team, they severely deviate from the standard duty of care then if you go to a sporting event and get injured, you have assumed the risk. It's a negligence analysis. So that's what the law says, all right? But I want to talk about the history of it. Um, and, And just taking a little bit further, in New Jersey, for example, there was a statute passed that provided certain immunities from spectator-based lawsuits that arose out of or arise out of youth sporting events. This is part of... Um, you know, municipality stuff, like when you sue the municipality for for being injured. Do you have a a list of the top four youth sports that injure people? I do not, but I can talk about some of that more specifically. Well, I know that some of those those parents are very competitive. Maybe all of them are dangerous because the parents start fighting each other. The parents are dangerous, that is for sure. But, (laughs) um, yeah, this is very, you know, it's very interesting because they basically say that, Unless there's some kind of, of, of you know, negligence. This is what the, the uh, let me read it for you. It All just right, makes more sense in New Jersey. So in New Jersey, it says that uh, uh, any lawsuits by a spectator or party related to the spectator for damages arising out of and in the course of the competition, practice, instructional activity associated with a youth sport event is based upon the spectators presumed knowledge and assumption of risk of any inherent risks of observing that event. So that means anything, a practice, an interscholastic team, a youth team, um, nonprofit or anything like that, you 
assume the risk. That's the general rule. You go to a baseball game and you get hit in the head with a baseball, you have assumed the risk. You go to a NASCAR event and a tire flies off and you get injured, you have assumed the risk. That's what the law says. But it wasn't always like that. And here's where it gets interesting. So, I mean, you talk about sporting through the 1900s and up to the 1950s, mm-hmm. where the courts would typically rule in favor of the injured spectators, believe it or not. And some of these early cases are what shaped current law. Um, and I think it's really interesting. So I'm going to give you one. So here is one uh, that was filed in Massachusetts, Lemoyne versus Springfield Hockey Association. And the facts of this case were a flying puck situation. So during the game, um, a fan became sick. He left his seat to go to the bathroom. And while he was walking, he got hit with a puck. Oh, my God. That's some awful timing there. Anyway, the court upheld the jury's verdict for the fan, holding that the fan's knowledge of the game was not an issue and that the jury could find that pucks entering the stand and, and at the frequent rate that they were entering the stands could, um, even though it was foreseeable, they still couldn't, you couldn't say that he assumed the risk. So this so case. Did, so, so how much did he get money from this? Uh, this is such an old case that, um, and this is from 1936. Oh. So. All right, so I think it's all right to laugh at his expense these days. I'm sure, kidding, kidding. I'm sure he got, got paid for this. But the mm-hmm. point is that back in the 30s, back, you know, early on in the 1900s, early 1900s. Yeah. This is what people were thinking. Here's another one. Um, Schwinn, or I, I said that wrong. It's Schwillim, S-C-H-W-I-L-M, versus Pennsylvania Sports. This case involved a woman sitting in a high-risk part of a hockey arena mm-hmm. behind the goal cage where the players shoot. She was struck in the head with a puck, and the jury awarded her $2,500 for her injury. Oh, wow. The appellate court affirmed the award despite an explicit acknowledgement um, that they assumed the risk. So right. here you go. You, you're thinking at, at this point, let's see, what year was this case? This again was in the 1940s. And you can see them saying, yes, you know, there's, there is this principle of assumption of risk, but it doesn't apply because they were really holding the venues to be responsible. There's another one. This one is much later in 1986. It was uh, Neinstein versus the Los Angeles Dodgers, and they looked at whether a baseball stadium owner had a duty to protect spectators from natural hazards generated by the way in which the game is played. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the majority of these lawsuits brought against them um, or any baseball teams like this alleging a breach of duty and negligence uh, or negligence in the part of the owner. Uh, from that point on, failed. They're, they're inherent risks of the game. So this 1986 case did not produce the same results as the earlier 1930 cases. So around the, I want to say, 1950s and above, there was this shift in the case law, and that's why this 1986 case is so different, because they're talking about the public being aware of the inherent injuries that can happen at a sporting event. That's interesting. So I was I was originally going to suggest the takeaway from this episode is um, 
don't try to catch foul balls with your hand. Try to catch them with your head. But now you're telling me that that's not a viable option anymore? No. And and so I think, you know, I know we didn't get into a significant history because people would be bored to tears. Yeah. But when you think about the fact that between 1900 and 1950, the courts were saying it was the, the, the team owners, it was the venue's fault if a, a person who was watching a sporting event got injured. And then after the 50s, this shift where now people are saying, wait a minute, you know, you know of the inherent risk and, you know, you're responsible essentially for you, you assume that risk is, is really the argument. That's what assumption of risk is. You know that it's dangerous. You assume the risk by going. Now, in modern day, we can see things like glass around a hockey rink, right? It's got to mm-hmm. be a certain height. There's netting around hockey uh, rinks. Um, a lot of baseball fields will have netting down the first base and third base line for foul balls. So you can see that these venues have become more aware and conscience, conscious, I should say, um, of their, their risk of being sued. Right. So despite case law saying that it's assumption of risk. Yeah. You still see venues now, and it, I think it gets it gets more intense as the years go by, with disclaimers on their website, disclaimers on their tickets, disclaimer on you know third party ticketing websites, netting, safety precautions. If you go to a hockey game, they won't let you walk to and from your seat while the puck's in play. Right. So if you go out to get some some food. And you come back and the game is in play, they hold you up top. Wait till the whistle blows, then you can go down to your seat. Huh. Can I can I say something off topic? Yes. Very off topic. Go ahead. All right. I at one point in my life went to hockey games very frequently. And you wanna know what the best part was? The food. All right? Because let me tell you, there were so many options. They had chicken and waffles that was pretty good. These burgers that always made my stomach upset. They had chicken fingers. They had, if you really wanted to gorge yourself while watching the game, the chicken finger bucket where it was a hockey helmet turned upside down, filled with chicken fingers and french fries, like 50 fingers, all right? It was awesome. They had Mrs. Fields cookies. They had pizza. They had pasta. They had wings. They had tacos. They had all kinds of stuff. It was amazing they had ice cream you just had to go there with half your paycheck well it was it was awesome all right it was awesome and they they played hockey and there was other stuff but the food was amazing so when you went to your um fast food sporting event and and you happened to see some hockey did you ever get stopped at the top yes all the time every time whenever i'd i'd come back in there'd be there'd be someone telling me to wait and then as soon as the game stops they tell me to go yeah, yeah, and that's because of of this risk. Now, I got a funny one for you since you gave me a funny one. Oh, yeah? So I happen to frequent hockey rinks because my youngest kid plays hockey. Oh, really? And Or actually, maybe we're both secretly hockey team owners and nobody knows it. Well, or hockey players, right? That would be nice. Yeah, I would ahead. be happy with either. Unfortunately, that's nope, not the we case. we are not. All right, go I ahead. I am a hockey watcher. <laughs> anyway. When you go to these rinks. And I'm a food eater. <laughs> go ahead. 
Listen, <laughs> Joey Chestnuts has made a living. Yeah, exactly. Uh, first of all, it's Joey Chestnut. All right, he's just one nut. And yeah, no, I think he's, no I think it's perfectly respectable. Like I know a lot of people make jokes. That's amazing, right? Like, I wish I could do that. There's that guy on uh, YouTube, Matt Stoney. You know him? Uh, Is no, that his name? I don't know. Never heard of him. You've never heard of Matt no. Stone? He's a food eater. Well, I, I mean, I feel like I'd like him. What about Badlands Chugs? I have heard of Badlands Chugs. He is awesome. Right? I love Badlands Chugs. Let's do this. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. yeah. It, if you don't know who I'm talking uh, about. Yeah, I think he's like, he's like, enough talk. And then he, it's awesome. All right? Awesome. If if you don't know Badlands Chugs, you got to check you gotta him out on YouTube. You got to look it up on YouTube. Badlands Chugs. Yes. He chugs everything. And sometimes it's out of a boot, which he calls he's got a giant. Boot. Yeah, he's got a giant glass boot. That he fills with things like Pepsi and stuff, and he drink. It's awesome. He drinks this stuff so fast. He actually has the world record, or he used to, for chugging things. Well, he did. He did. He. I think he went on uh, at the event with Joey Chestnut. He did. He was at the Nathan's uh, hot yeah, dog. Yeah, and they eating. had like a special chugging part, uh, just pretty much just for him and the other competitors. He destroyed them. It's not even fun. Well, I think spectators assume the risk when they go to a food eating contest too. What kind of risks could there be in a food eating contest? Projectile vomit? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, the point here is that assuming the risk. So I want to get back to my funny story, which is when I go to these rinks, they have these signs that they put on the glass and it says, watch out for flying pucks. But some mischievous people, maybe some kids or hockey players have managed, and I've seen this at like 10 rinks, to take the pee and <laughs> remove a section of it so that it looks like an F. Oh, my. And then it says, watch out for flying, not pucks. And I laugh every time I see it. <laughs> Very childish. Yeah, but I funny. think it's funny. Um, because sometimes, you said it, parents in the stands of hockey games are ridiculous. Yeah. And they become flying, not pucks. When they're <laughs> flying over top of you to punch somebody in the head. But that said. You know, I think that venues and owners are overly cautious because they want to do everything they can to limit their liability and they want to protect themselves. And right. that's due to all these damn lawyers. Don't you agree with that? I do not agree with that. Thank you. At least you got my back. Yeah. But no, really, seriously, it's no. because of, of risk. So if you are a sports team owner or a venue owner, you're going to want to do all you can to limit your potential liability. So if that means putting up a net or, or whatever, you know, sometimes these facilities will have risk management people come in or attorneys come in and say, listen, if this happens, this person could get injured. Let's put a net up here or let's, you know, change the height of this or do this or do that or move this over here. So they have these risk management professionals come in to assess the risk and try to limit it because in all honesty, nobody wants to see a spectator get, get, get hurt. I mean, nobody wants that. You want to go to this sporting event to have fun, you know, and you don't want to come out getting injured. But unfortunately, this is where the assumption of risk comes in. If you know you're going to a dangerous sport, then you assume the risk. Now, I want to just jump back into the youth sport topic real quick before we end the, end the show today. So youth sports are similar but different. And I used to represent a lot of municipalities and we would inevitably encounter uh, lawsuits where there was a sporting event in a town or a, a, a local municipality and there was a lawsuit. 
One in particular that I can recall was a spectator who was sitting off the third baseline in a Little League baseball game, and a foul ball hit them in the head and caused serious injury. And the argument by this plaintiff was that there was no netting down the third baseline. And so what do you think the township argued but assumption of risk, right? Right. You know that it's inherently dangerous. You went, you sat there, and you assumed the risk. And so in cases like that, because the townships have immunities, what I was reading earlier, Mm -hmm. there's a heightened level that you have to prove. You, you, You have to prove more than just negligence. You have to prove gross negligence against municipalities. And so in cases like that at the municipal level, they, the plaintiff doesn't win because unless the township acted with gross negligence, they're not going to be on the hook. There are times when people do act negligently. For example, I'll give you one hypothetical. Just made this okay, up. Okay, all right. This worries me all the time when I see kids playing hockey. There are times where a referee, a manager, a coach, they don't close the door to get into the rink all the way. And now you've got kids hitting into each other or running into each other. And if the door is open, they could get like seriously hurt. Right. So I always think about that. Like, you know, that's a risk that would be in my mind, not an assumed risk. You know, as a spectator, right, that you can get hurt, you know, as a hockey player, you can get hurt. Mm -hmm. But for example, let's say that you're in a venue and the seats are not bolted to the floor properly. You don't assume that risk, right? If you sit in that seat. Yeah, yeah, that's not something right. Right, and it falls because it wasn't properly installed. Mm -hmm. Or if the floors are slippery. Or if there's other issues that are created that are not part of the sport itself. It's not an inherent risk of watching that sport. It's something else about the venue, you know? Trip and fall, slip and fall. Or, or other dangers. We're yeah. only talking about inherent risks of the sport. So if you go to a sporting event, pro or not pro, you assume the risk of the dangerous nature of that sport. And that's really all there is to it. But it's interesting to see how the history of it, how it developed and why you know it changed and how in the, in the early 1900s, it was everybody else's fault but the spectator. And then that shift in the, in the law. So now, you know, just know you go to a sporting event and you assume the risk. So when somebody says, because I've had this question asked of me before, hey, that ticket that says assumption of risk on the back, is that really binding and valid? And the answer, which is not exactly what we're talking about, but yes, it is an answer. Uh, It is binding in, in most situations. But more importantly, when they talk about assumption of risk, these, these entities have the protection of being able to say you assume the risk. Mm. So, yeah, interesting, right? Yeah, absolutely. So now I want you to watch hockey. In the safety of your own home, don't go to any sports games because you will be hurt and you <laughs> will not get anything for it. But they have food. That's true. That's the temptation, you know? And then That's... when you get diabetes, there's nobody to sue because you assume the risk. Uh, are you sure about that? You know, the thing that I really want to avoid, though, now that we've talked about it, because I actually have not thought about it until mm-hmm. I actually said it, I don't think I ever want to go to a food eating contest. I don't want to assume that risk. What do you mean? We just talked about it. Projectile vomiting? Yes. You're too scared about that? Yes, I am very scared about that. That would now, set see, 
off a chain reaction. If someone in the field was able to uh, projectile vomit to the crowd, well, then there is a brand new competition, all right? Projectile vomiting length. I, I think I'd rather do uh, chess boxing. Yeah, I'd rather do chess boxing as well. All right. Well, that's going to do it. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, it's October. We do have very interesting Halloween episodes coming up at the end of the month. But like I said at the beginning of the show, just not this one. That's right. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Understanding the Law Radio. If you haven't done so already, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. We're available anywhere that you listen to your podcasts, including Amazon, Apple Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. Also, don't forget to check us out online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again. See you next time.